Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we are going to be talking about everybody's favorite Bulgarian bonbon, Victor Crumb. That one cute. The hottie with the body. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow. Yeah, Victor Crumb. Yeah. I feel like he just like really became like the the, like only (laughs) attractive. I guess people feel like Tom Felton. People are like attracted to Draco because of that. But I feel like Tom Felton had his peak, like looks wise, like in the subsequent maybe last years of Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. kind of. He was like, I mean, he was a cute kid. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I, but like he was like hot, you know, later in his teens, and then he kind of took a downturn. My opinion. Yeah, I mean, like. Opinion. A hot take is that, like, I've never really found him that attractive, but... I think for me, I picture him with the blonde hair, and, like, I'm not... Like, I think he looks better with the darker hair, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. But, like, whenever I picture Tom Felton, I picture him, like, as Draco with the bleach blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. That's our talk on hot guys (laughs) and Harry Potter. Um... Our patron shout-out is Mark, who's my dad, (laughs) who's a new patron. So Um, exciting. He he was our 10th patron. Yeah, he wanted to get us to double digits, so thanks, Dad. You're the best. It's exciting. (laughs) And we have no announcements for this episode. No, I don't think we do. Okay. I feel like I am forgetting something, though. I feel like we should have an announcement. It feels weird not to have one. I know, I feel like we're really flying through the intro of this episode. Yeah. Alright, well. (laughs) Jump in at any point if you think of something. But I'm going to start talking about Chrome. (laughs) Um, So, as we know, his name is Victor Chrome. Um, Victor means victorious one. Which is kind of ironic, because as we know, we, like, never actually see him win, despite all of the talk about him being, like, amazing at Quidditch. We see him lose the Quidditch World Cup, and he also does not do very well in the Triwizard Tournament. Gets third place. Yeah. So, not victorious in our experience with him. Well, it's also kind of funny, because we know, like, Fleur's daughter, she names Victoire, like for victory and like we know that victor and fleur had some sort of like relationship post gobbled a fire because i think it's implied or even like outright said maybe that they like kept in touch or maybe harry like speculates that they must have when crumb shows up at the wedding Mm -hmm. so i wonder if that was like i wonder if they're like bffs and just we don't know that what if partially victor victoire was named after victor what if Victoire is actually Victor's daughter? Oh, stop. She's got to have red hair. No, she probably has blonde hair. I think like she's described as looking like exactly like her mom. I'm just saying. Bill Weasley might want to take a DNA test or yeah. have Victoire take a DNA test. Not only did, in, in that scenario, not only did Fleur like have an affair and his daughter is not, re- like Bill's daughter is not really his daughter, 
but also she somehow conned Bill into naming his not daughter after, after her lover. Her lover. <laughs> Savage. If if somebody Fleur took that a DNA, if Fleur took a DNA test, it would come out that she's one hundred percent that bitch. Is that what? And also twenty five percent Vila. Yeah. Seventy five percent that bitch. Twenty five percent Vila. <laughs> is that what the the song lyric is? I haven't listened yes. to that song in so long. It is. Okay, so then Krum is the name of one of like the most famous Bulgarian rulers who mm. ruled in the 9th century. Um, but it's not a typical name in modern Bulgaria because it's of pagan origin. And it's actually not a surname. It's like a given name, a first name. And at the time, like back in the 9th century, Bulgarian rulers were only known by their first name because they were all from the same family. They all had the same last name, which was Dulu, apparently. So... I mean, not entirely accurate to use it as a last name. And I just thought this was not the first time we've seen an author, seen the author butcher names from like other cultures and try to just like take something and make it a name without it really being a name in that culture. Because reference to our Cho Chang episode. Yeah. Both of those just give off the vibes of like, and like, I'm not, I don't know, like, authors have like pull inspiration for many different things and obviously like google things to get names all the time but it kind of just gives off the impression that she just kind of like googled chinese name googled bulgarian mm-hmm. name and just kind of like picked the top yeah things exactly uh, so um so then we get to his birthday which is confirmed to be the year 1976, but Audrey and I just were having a discussion about this before we started recording, and I'm just a little bit confused because in Goblet of Fire in Chapter 7 in um, Bagman and Crouch, so that's a chapter that we've put up for our patron polls before because it takes place at the Quidditch World Cup, and it's kind of that chapter where... They're hanging out at the, like, campgrounds, and they see all of the stuff to see at the, like, campgrounds at the Quidditch World Cup and see all these people. But anyways, it's it's said that Crumb is just only just 18, which means that he's 18 going into his last year of schooling, which generally we know that, like, at Hogwarts, you're 17 going into your last year of schooling, and then you turn 18. So... Maybe he was, like, held back a year. Maybe they have, like, an extra year of schooling. Or maybe the cutoff is different. I also think that, yeah, I think it's probably the cutoff is different. Because only just 18, to me, sounds like he, like, literally just turned 18. So he probably turned 18, like, in, like, that August. And, I mean, it's very reasonable to believe that, like, the cutoff in a different country at a totally different school is like maybe it's august 1st instead of september 1st you know like yeah maybe they usually start school earlier because they're like further north you know like get more of the sunlight and he just like was you know busy yeah at the crows world cup (laughs) you know (laughs) no big deal i'm gonna go with his birthday is august 12th 1976 okay so then the cutoff would have to be August after 1st. that. No, it wouldn't. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The birthday would have to be after the cutoff to be in that year. 
Okay, I could buy that because I'm pretty sure the Quidditch World Cup happens like fairly close to them going back to Hogwarts because like Mrs. Weasley has to do their like school supply shopping while they're gone. Yeah, like, it says August. How far away? Like how? It far says August gone. 18th. Yeah. So I mean. So that's why I'm saying he like, like literally just turned like six days before. Okay, I could see that. Um, he's also described as being 38 in April of 2014 with the Quidditch World Cup writing that we got in 2014. But Audrey and I were just talking, and why would the Quidditch World Cup be going on in April if it, like, the finals happened in August before? Like, generally, world, like, inclusive world sporting events happen at, like, the same time every year. Like, the Olympics always happen at the same time. Like, soccer World Cups always happen at the same time. And, like, you can say that, like, the tournament moved faster in certain years. So, like, it's not always exactly the same. But, like, that's too much of a difference. Yeah, I also think that, like, I think that they're saying it was April just because that was probably released in April. Yeah. But also, I think with the Quidditch World Cup, you're, like, to believe that there are, like, qualifying rounds, and so, like, there could be qualifying, like, in April. Well, no, so what? when these writings were released, like, there was, they weren't all released at once. It was, like, real-time reporting is what it was supposed to be. Oh, right, right. Um, Like, we had, like, the bracket, and, like, we would know what days, like, I think they would even have, like, days attached to them, like, what matches were happening on what days. Um, I know, but that, so that's what I'm saying is, like, those could be, like, it could have been in, like, one of the earlier qualifying things that it said, like, referenced him as 38 in April. But, like, we know that he makes it to the final. So, I don't know. I, like, I don't, I guess I don't know which exact writing it described, first described him as being 38, but I don't think that the time There's an really inconsistency, which is not yes. at all surprising, so. <laughs> well, also, it's not surprising. He was born August 12th, 1977. <laughs> he was born roughly in we have down, or the wiki has down between April and August of 1976. So. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> All right. His nationality is Bulgarian. Plays for Bulgarian national team. Okay, so I just read this last sentence in what you have from the wiki, and it says that he cannot have been 38 by April 2014 and still be 18 in May. Yeah, okay, because he's mind, also referenced Sorry. as 18. I thought that's that why there's an inconsistency. 2014. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. Um, his blood status is that he's either a half blood or a pure blood. I guess we know that he's not muggle born because Durmstrang, I don't think. Is very accommodating to Muggleborns. I don't know if it's ever like outright said that they don't admit them, but I don't think that. They I don't know that it's said it. in the books. Maybe Malfoy says that in the books, but it is said oh. like on the wiki, and so I think it's probably. I think it might be said in the like Pottermore writing yeah. about Durmstrang. Well, I think Malfoy does make a comment where he's like, "Mother wanted me to go to Durmstrang," like probably said no. something along like, "Father wanted me to go to Durmstrang." Sorry, one of his parents <laughs> said they wanted me to go to Durmstrang because they don't like allow like riffraff at their school because they teach the dark arts. Yeah, so we can assume he's either half blood or pure blood. And his parents are Mr. and Mrs. Crumb. 
riveting information right there. Um, his school he attended Durmstrang Institute, which, which okay. stay tuned on that later. Okay. I was just going to, do you talk about the location later? No, no, no. Oh, I was okay, okay. just going to say we will have an episode about Durmstrang at a later oh, date. Oh, okay. I was going to say that Durmstrang, I believe, is thought to be in like Scandinavia? Scandinavia or like like Western Russia. Yeah, because they like talk. Like Russia close to Scandinavia. Yeah, because... Crumb talks about how like the day like the sun isn't very isn't up very often in the winter, which like alludes to a like a pretty northern location. Um, I think I've seen like maybe Finland or Norway mm-hmm. as one of the most likely locations, um, but we don't really know. Okay, and so his wand we know everything about it because um of the weighing of the wands chapter so it is 10 and a quarter inches hornbeam wood with dragon heartstring core and um at the weighing of the wands olivander says quote this is a gregorovich creation unless i am much mistaken a fine wand maker though the styling is never what quite what i however and then he says it's rather thicker than one usually sees and quite rigid. And he uses Avis, Avis, the like bird, conjuring bird spell, um, to test it out and finds that it has not been tampered with. I have a comment about the style of Crumb's wand because it is simultaneously like one of my favorite and one of my least favorite wands that they have. Um, I really like it because it's got like kind of a wave to the like overall like silhouette of the wand Mm. and it like tapers off and gets like narrow as you get to the end, which I think is really cool. But on the hilt, it's like an eagle head or like some sort of bird head, which I've never really quite understood because that doesn't really have anything to do with Durmstrang. It doesn't really have anything to do directly with Crumb either. No. Um, and so it just seems like like a very odd decision. I really, I like the waviness, but that's about it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really a fan. I don't like the light wood coloring either. Mm. Yeah. I will say also that like I have a stand that I put it on. So like hooks that you kind of like lay it on. And because of the bird head, it kind of like curls up. It just always Mm. like... No matter how I try to get it to like stand up so the bird is like looking up, it just, <laughs> it just always like work. flips around and it really bothers me. But you got that one in your like pack of the Yeah, door. I have all the champions ones. Right. In a little like display case. <laughs> Alright, and so then a little bit on hornbeam wood. So Ollivander says Quote, my own wand is made of hornbeam, and so it is with all due modesty that I state that hornbeam selects for its life mate the talented witcher wizard with a single pure passion, which some might call an obsession, though I prefer the term vision, which will almost always be realized. Hornbeam wands, wands attack. Hornbeam 
Juan adapt more quickly than almost any other to their owner's style of magic and will become so personalized so quickly that other people will find them extremely difficult to use even for the most simple of spells. Hornbeam wands likewise absorb their owner's code of honor, whatever they might be, and will refuse to perform acts, whether for good or ill, that do not tally with their master's principles, a particularly fine-tuned and sentient wand. So I think it's really interesting that last bit. Um, obviously, like the thing at the beginning about a pure passion, like, oh, Quidditch. Um, but I think that last bit is super interesting because if we think about this, when Chrome was imperious in the final task, he performed Crucio with his wand on Cedric. And yes, he was like obviously being controlled, but his wand allowed him to do that. And it says that like the wand would refuse to perform acts. So I don't know if that would, it would just refuse like an act that someone else is trying to do with it. Or like the way it's written, it doesn't say like would refuse like someone else using a wand. It says would refuse to acts that are not tallied with the master's principles so like I think it would be really cool if the wand had been like no my owner even like I can tell my owner's imperious they would like he would never cast crucio on someone else yeah um obviously that's not what happened and that would like really complicate the plot of things but I don't know I wonder like if we read too much into this, like, does that mean that Crumb would, it's not, like, totally against his principles to use Crucio? Like, I feel like that's not what we know about him. So, like, if someone else had tried and used the wand to, like, like, if Moody had just, like, taken Crumb's wand, not Moody, Crouch Jr. had taken Crumb's wand and, like, cast Crucio, would it have worked, you know? Okay, I have two plausible, like, defenses of that or, like, reasons why it occurred the way it did. Number one, I could see maybe the Crucio curse just not being as, like, strong as it might have been. You know, maybe, like, the wand fighting back a little bit in the way that it, like, it... Because, like, to the best of our knowledge, like, Cedric had never been Crucioed before, so, like, he doesn't... Like, he would have no frame of reference, if that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe it just wasn't as strong as it would have been. And number two, it does say, like, it will absorb their owner's code of honor. And, like, Crumb at this point is, like, still fairly young. So I wonder, like, if it takes, like, a lot of time for the wand to, like, absorb that. It says it doesn't take long, but I guess we don't know, like, how long Yeah, because, like, long if, is, we're, you know? if we're under Like, it was only seven years yeah and like if we're under the impression that like you have one one for your whole life like what percentage is that first seven years you know Mm -hmm. that makes sense um so yeah I don't know those would be my two plausible like obviously I don't think that like these wand writings were done after this series so yeah but yeah that's definitely interesting to think about one additional thing um, is that just, like, with that, like, not related to the wand, but just, like, with that incident in general, I think it's really interesting, and, like, broadly, like, we have, like, all the Death Eaters claiming that they were imperious when they were, like, doing terrible things, which we can assume is, like, also casting 
like unforgivable curses. And I think it's really interesting that like when you imperious someone, you can make them cast Avada Kedavra, Crucio, I guess also imperious someone else. I don't know if that would work. But like I think it's interesting because like Bellatrix says, like you have to mean it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the maybe the person like who has imperious to you means mm-hmm. it. But like but it's like, your you magic don't. that's doing it and like in that situation, yeah. like talking about you have to feel it to me, that means like for the magic like coming like out the person of you or however it, it works, yeah. you know, has to mean it. Because, like, the magic isn't coming out of the person who imperioused you. Like, if that's how we, like, I, that's how I would picture magic working, you mm-hmm. know, like, leaving the body kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Oh, also, just a quick little note about the wands. The four slash three champions that have, like, normal cores have one of each. Because I believe Cedric is mm-hmm. a unicorn here. Um, yeah. And then, like, Crumb is the dragon heartstring. Hera is the phoenix feather. And Fleur has the vila hair so like they're all four different yeah which is very interesting and then just to know oh, back to crumb swan specifically dragon heartstring we know is like the one that's most associated with being able to turn to the dark arts because it requires like killing the dragon to get the heartstring um or i guess like that's like speculated why but it's just like Obviously, you're not going to give Cedric a dragon heartstring wand yeah. core. So, I mean, it, like, fits into the stereotypes of, like, Chrome as you first see him, you know, like, oh, he goes to Durmstrang, he must be into dark arts, he's, like, silent and broody and, like, a little sketchy. But once we really, like, talk about his character, you realize that, like, he's very against all of that, so. Well, Hermione also has a dragon heartstring wand, right? Because the, all, the I think three so. trio have yeah. all different ones in mind. Yeah, it's not, like... Horn. All dragon heart strength. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay, moving on to the first mention. Let me pull up my book. Um, so this happens in, I believe, Bagman and Crouch, if or maybe the chapter right before it. Okay, so it's like the beginning of Bagman and Crouch is when this happens and so the trio are like walking around the campgrounds and they get to like the Bulgaria like village basically. So that's where this starts. The tents here had not been bedecked with plant life, but each and every one of them had the same poster attached to it, a poster of a very surly face with heavy black eyebrows. The picture was of course moving, but all it did was blink and scowl. Crumb, said Ron quietly. What? said Hermione. Crumb, said Ron. Victor Crumb, the Bulgarian seeker. He looks really grumpy, said Hermione, looking around at the many crumbs blinking and scowling at them. Really grumpy. Ron raised his eyes to the heavens. Who cares what he looks like? He's unbelievable. He's really young, too. Only just 18 or something. He's a genius. You wait until tonight. You'll see. Okay, so that's when they say he's 18. Yeah. So I he, wonder if he he's really 17. Like, or something. Yeah. I wonder if he might be 17 there. Yeah. And maybe he's like just like about 18. to turn 18. Yeah. Okay, Ron. Misleading yeah. us. Jeez. But that's a so good that's why you question. can't take quotes out of context, people, because you <laughs> never know what they're actually saying. Especially when Ron's saying it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright, so, his personality type, this is exciting because it's one um, I've only talked about once before, is ISTP, which is the Virtuoso, and it's the same as Charlie Weasley, and also Harry, but Ooh. haven't talked about Harry, never will, so. <laughs> Until we get to 100 reviews. Right, right, I shouldn't reel that out. <laughs> um... So, virtuosos love to explore with their hands and their eyes, touching and examining the world around them with cool rationalism and spirited curiosity. Um, I think a lot of this, like, personality type for Charlie was, like, I chose due to, like, it's a very, like, tactile, like, do stuff with your hands, engineering type thing. Um, take stuff apart, put it back together. But with Crumb, um, not so much that kind of stuff. Although I guess you could make the argument like being an athlete, he's more like interacts with the world in a physical manner than like his brain. I don't know if that makes sense. But um, cool rationalism jumped out to me there because like catching the snitch, knowing that like his team was going to lose regardless and just kind of like putting it out, of, putting them out of their misery and like still being willing to catch the snitch to make it like less embarrassing I guess um feels like a very like rational decision to make also uh virtuosos explore ideas through creating troubleshooting trial and error and firsthand experience they enjoy having other people take an interest in their projects and sometimes don't even mind them getting into their space of course that's on the condition that those people don't interfere with virtuosos principles and freedom and they'll need to be open to virtuosos returning the interesting kind. Um, the beginning, talking about, like, creating and troubleshooting and, like, doing things um, through experience, I felt like fit him because he seems like a very much, like, action-oriented person. Um, like, he doesn't sit back and watch. He, like, does things. Like, um, obviously, like, joining the Triwizard Tournament and, like... Uh, when they see him practicing for the second task and swimming in the water, like, very much not just, like, sitting back thinking, like, oh, what could I do to prepare? Or, like, how am I going to tackle this? He's, like, you know, getting shit done. Um, and then the thing about their principles called back, I thought, to the Wandwood, which talked about having strong principles. Um, and we see this with Crumb, with him being, like, very anti-Grindelwald, we hear about in Deathly Hallows at the wedding, um, about how, like, he used to see this, the Deathly Hallows symbol, um, around at, at Durmstrang, and him and some other students were like, yo, that's not okay. No hate symbols here. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> um... So, while their mechanical tendencies can make them appear simple at a glance, virtuosos are actually quite enigmatic, friendly but very private, calm but suddenly spontaneous, extremely curious but unable to stay focused on formal studies, virtuoso personalities can be a challenge to predict, even by their friends and loved ones. Um, so yeah, like, we definitely have that dumb jock image from afar, um, especially because, like, for so long he doesn't say anything and I think Harry kind of like interprets him as like brooding and like I don't know I don't Harry never like says like oh he's too dumb to speak but like very much just like does not come across as super intelligent more of like a big yeah. oaf like kind of 
jockey thug type. Yeah, I think, like, a big turning point for Harry's perception of Crumb is when they go to do the interview, because he's like, oh, Crumb, like, will be a natural at this. He must do this stuff all the time. And I think Harry observes him observes him being very, like, um, uncomfortable in that situation. Mm. And that's when Harry starts to kind of question, like, oh, like, he is just a kid. And, like, I think that he obviously is somebody who didn't play Quidditch for, like, the fame and the fortune. Like, I think mm. he played Quidditch because that's what he really cared about, you know? Yeah. I know that's not, like, really tied directly into, like, how smart he is, but I think that started to, like, break down that perception that Harry had of him as kind of this, like, brooding, like, thinks he's too good for everybody, like, yeah. doesn't have anything, like, good or smart to say kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, like, more of an enigma with a lot of kind of contradictory things as far as, like, how he first presents and then, like, once you get to know him a little bit, maybe. Um, So, like, he is super, seems like he's super private, super, like, aloof, doesn't have any close relationships, and then, like, he befriends Hermione. We know that he has a close relationship with Fleur. Um, he was never, like, rude to Harry or Cedric and actually, like, showed them a lot of respect, like, later on um, and said that he respected Cedric um, and spoke kindly to Harry, but still very private, keeps to himself, totally introverted. Um, he seems pretty calm, but then, like, at the Yule Ball, he seemed to open up and, like, was really having fun with Hermione. He at least <laughs> danced. Um, Harry and Ron wouldn't dance. <laughs> um... And then, like, I can see him being, like, curious about, like, more complicated magic and everything, but not really, like, the sit in a classroom, learn, study in the textbook type person. Yeah. Um, but we obviously know that he's, like, a decent wizard. I mean, he survives through the Triwizard Tournament. Like, that, <laughs> that is a feat of its own. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, it's, this personality really caps, uh, captures that kind of, balance and contradictory like what he appears versus what he actually is yeah um so virtuoso's decisions stem from a sense of practical realism so again back to that realism and out there heart is a strong sense of direct fairness a do unto others attitude which really helps to explain many of their puzzling traits um, the realism, like I was saying um, at the beginning, like knowing that Bulgaria was going to lose regardless. And then the, that do unto others attitude and this like sense of fairness, like what he says about Cedric. I mean, it's he barely says anything. It's very short. He made a few words, but he says something to Harry afterwards, like that he regrets that Cedric died. Obviously, it's not his fault, but like he feels bad that Cedric died and like he respected him for always being polite and like I feel like Cedric really upheld those values of like fairness and you know like Hufflepuff like sportsmanship values um and I think Crumb saying that like no is a nod to the fact that he like holds those values as well and respected Cedric for them and also like it was kind of like sportsmanlike of him to like take Harry aside before the third task and he like complimented his flying and like not sports like it was like a fairness and like honesty with him to just be like what's up with you and Hermione Hermione you know <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> 
So virtuosos have a particular diff have a particular difficulty in predicting emotions, but this is just a natural extension of their fairness, given how difficult it is to gauge virtu virtuosos' emotions and motivations. However, their tendency to exploit their relationships through their actions rather than through empathy can lead to some very frustrating situations. People with a virtuoso personality type struggle with boundaries and guidelines, preferring the freedom to move about and color outside the lines if they need to. I'm not sure, like, entirely how well this fits, but definitely the, like, being complicated emotionally and not showing your emotions, like, struggling to display your emotions fits, because he seems to have, like, one emotion from the outside. Um, but I think we, like, don't know enough about him and his relationships to talk about, like, whether he struggles in relationships because of, like, his inability to show emotions and, like, that kind of stuff. Because we we don't really, like, see him interact with Hermione all that much and, like... Yeah. Yeah. So then for strengths, um, we have a lot of these don't seem to fit, but... <laughs> whatever we have optimistic and energetic creative and practical spontaneous and rational know how to prioritize great in a crisis and relaxed <laughs> i can see like we talked about like rational practical mm -hmm. i could see him being great in a crisis you know like he seems like a very even keel kind of guy mm -hmm. you know like he'll be able to yeah. keep his cool mm -hmm. in a crisis um know how to prioritize like maybe you could make the argument that like him catching the snitch at the quidditch world cup is like a way of like prioritize prioritization how do you say that word because <laughs> like you know he was his priority was kind of just like ending the game mm -hmm. you know like he was able to like rationally think out all the options and like prioritize mm -hmm. what he wanted to do i don't know energetic not so much spontaneous not so much maybe <laughs> creative not so much yeah um and then for weaknesses we have stubborn insensitive private and reserved easily mm -hmm. bored dislike commitment and risky behavior i think harry like often describes him as looking bored yeah <laughs> private and reserved definitely definitely risky behavior i mean like anybody who enters the charters like also like playing quidditch Mm-hmm. And probably, like, probably stubborn I could buy because, oh, like, yeah. I don't know, like, he didn't, he didn't want to, like, he knew that Bulgaria was going to lose and he just, like, I don't know, was, like, set in that. And I don't know if, like, his teammates would be mad at him for that. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're hinging a lot of his personality on that decision, but, like, it takes a certain person to make that decision. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, like, a pivotal decision, you know? Like, I feel like there's like actions and moments in your life that really kind of like highlight who you are at your core and I feel like you know like it was a sports like a sporting event at the end of the day but like I feel like that's a big decision and can really like highlight who you are as a person mm -hmm. I don't know yeah okay interesting <laughs> it's interesting that like Harry is this personality yeah um because I don't see a lot of Harry in this, and I know that you kind of, like, pull, like, pick and choose what to talk about from the long writings about, like, the different Myers-Briggs personalities, but... Yeah, I think... 
I'll have to do some thinking with Harry. I'm sure that, like, Crumb actually, like, pretty much everywhere I looked, like, gave him this personality type. Mm. Um, which is unusual. I feel like when you don't know a ton about a character, usually they're, like, kind of all over the place with what people have said on the internet. But I don't know with Harry, at least, like, the original source that I looked at, um, this was Harry's personality type. But obviously when the time comes, I'll, like, do some more digging on that. Yeah, I wonder if, like, somebody was just, like, the virtuoso, that's Harry Potter, you know, and didn't (laughs) even really read it. A lot of it does talk about, like, having very strong principles and, like, Mm, that is something that really defines Harry's decision-making. Yeah, I do feel like these strengths and weaknesses, like, I don't love a lot of the strengths for Harry. Um, Mm. Like, I don't see him as very relaxed. I don't really see him as spontaneous. But I also, like, don't really see him as very rational either, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. And not practical, like, not energetic, not really optimistic either. Great in a crisis, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He, like, he can handle himself well and, like, knows what to do. Which is really interesting because we always see from his perspective that he's like, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, like, he doesn't feel like he's great in a crisis. But from the outside, it's like, bro, you lived. That's, like, end goal. (laughs) Yeah. Risky behavior. That is hairy to a T. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So, next we're going to talk about his Triwizard Tournament journey. Um, So we know that he entered, like, he put his name in the Goblet of Fire, obviously, and his name was shot out of that Goblet of Fire on October 31st of 1994. And so then getting into the first task, we do know that he knew it was dragons because Harry does run into Karkaroff, like, Literally, he runs into Karkaroff um, in the forest that night that Hagrid brings him and Madame Maxine out there. And I guess it's kind of like insinuated that Karkaroff like, saw them from the ship and followed them out into the forest and presumably saw the dragons um, and presumably told Crumb because Harry like rationalizes this and he's like this is why I had to tell Cedric because you know it wouldn't be fair if everybody knew about Cedric going back to kind of that fairness that we keep talking about I wonder what Crumb's reaction was to being told that you know like I wonder if he was like bro that like why did you tell me that it's cheating or if it was like thanks for the information because like we don't get we don't get a huge indication that Crumb likes Karkaroff. Like, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure we know he, like, outwardly doesn't like Karkaroff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if, like, Karkaroff told him they were gonna cheat, you know? Yeah. Like, before even that happened, like, going into it, Karkaroff was like, yeah, like, yeah. obviously we're gonna do what we can. I could also maybe Karkaroff see, like, taking kind of, like, the Harry approach about, like, him coming to Cedric to tell him because Harry was like everybody else knows like I just want it to be fair you know like he Mm -hmm. didn't like he kind of spin zoned it Mm -hmm. I could see Karkaroff kind of taking the same tact like everybody else knows like Hagrid was out there Madame Maxine was out there so we know that like Hogwarts and Bobatons know yeah you know and like I think Karkaroff was like such a slimy guy that he anticipated everybody else cheating anyways you know yeah (laughs) so um and at that first task, Cedric, or Cedric, 
I wish I was talking about Cedric. Um, Crumb picks the Chinese fireball as his dragon. And his tactic in this was actually the tactic that Sirius was going to recommend to Harry before he got cut off when Ron like unexpectedly comes down the stairs. When they're talking through the fire, um, he uses the conjunctivitis curse aimed at the dragon's eye because it's like a weak point for dragons, but I feel like it'd be pretty safe to say that, like, eyes are a weak point for, like, every creature. (laughs) You know, you don't have a lot of, like, protection unless you're wearing goggles. Um, And so he did that, but as a result of the dragon, like, losing its eyesight, it got very disorientated, disoriented, and started to, like, stomp around blind, actually, like, crushing a lot of the other, like, real eggs that were there. That's so sad. Which is kind of, like, heartbreaking. Um, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, we don't know if, like, they were fertilized or not, or how, like, dragon eggs work. Um, Yeah. You know? But, like, they weren't supposed to harm the real egg. So, said, or, jeez, I said Cedric again. Crumb was able to get the golden egg, but he was docked points when he was being scored for the crushing of the real eggs. But he was uninjured um, during this task. And so, he got, he was tied with Harry points-wise because Karkaroff gave him a full 10 points, points and then Karkaroff like subsequently like really downscored Harry like I think he gave Harry a four or something yeah that sounds right um and so (laughs) maybe Crumb didn't deserve to be tied with Harry at the end of the day but is it it is what it is I guess that's kind of why you have all three schools yeah scoring because like theoretically it would balance out but Karkaroff really seems to be the only one that's like (laughs) not being fair so then it goes back to being imbalanced but anyways leading up to the second task Crum takes I know this isn't really Triwizard Tournament but it's like Triwizard Tournament adjacent and I'll talk about Crum and Hermione's relationship later but Crumb took Hermione to the Yule Ball after, like, trying to get up the courage to ask her while he was sitting in the library. Um, they had a great time together. They danced. They talked. Until Ron ruined everything. For Hermione's words, doesn't she, like, scream, like, you ruined everything <laughs> while she's crying? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hermione, as, like, a result of... Crumb taking Hermione to the Yule Ball. Hermione was then chosen as his hostage for the second task as like the thing that he loved the most. And I think we talked about this in the past, but it was the thing that these champions loved the most that was on Hogwarts like property. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, I guess we don't know Crumb's relationship like with the other boys at Durmstrang or like his family in general, but like... It would be hard-pressed for you to sell me that, like, Hermione was what he loved most in the world after going on one date with her. Would miss most, but yeah. Would miss most. Um, If that were the case, I would caution Hermione to maybe take a step back from that relationship. (laughs) You don't feel as strongly about this as he does. (laughs) Maybe, like, giving off some creepy vibes. Like, he did kind of, like, stalk her in the library already. Like, (laughs) he is however many years older than she is. But, like I said, we'll talk about the... Or, I'll talk about the relationship later. So, the way that Crumb tackled the second task is that he decided to do, like, a partial transfiguration on himself. Which I believe Hermione actually, like, posits as a 
possible like solution to harry Mm -hmm. like self-transfiguration but she's like it's way too difficult like even people who are like really good at transfiguration like don't generally take this risk yeah she like doesn't suggest it as like a real yeah she's just kind of like talking through ideas and it's one that she brings up which again kind of like plays into the idea that crumb was like a pretty talented wizard even though he botched it like he still lived yeah well like i mean i guess i do we know if he like meant to transfigure his whole body because like theoretically he would only have like i guess transforming his whole body would make it faster but like he only needed the gills at that point to breathe underwater yeah i don't know i kind of always assumed like he did it on purpose but who knows i think they do make a comment though about how it was like not successful yeah um so again, like he did the top half was successful, so he could at least breathe through the gills that sharks have. I don't even know if I said shark. He half transfigures himself into a shark. Um and so when he by the time he gets to the hostages, Cedric had already gotten there and taken Cho. Harry has been down there for I don't know, who knows however long at this point, just being a dumbass on all honesty. Um, so Crumb gets there, like, he goes straight for Hermione, and he starts to kind of try and, like, bite the, like, rope or, like, whatever's tying her there, and Harry's like, whoa, 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 doesn't seem like you have great control over those things, here's this rock that you can have to, like, do it safer, so he does it and just, like, ditches Harry. Um, and then we obviously know that Harry waits until he, like, finally realizes that, like, Fleur is not coming, and he just decides to take Gabrielle and go to the surface. And Crumb actually ends up getting third in this task because he did arrive outside of the time limit. And so even though he was the second fastest, Harry got extra points for being, like, a hero. (laughs) Um, For being Harry. For being Harry. So then Crumb ends up in third third place in this task putting him in third place overall because Cedric caught up to Harry because he did finish within the time limit so at this point Harry and Cedric are tied Crumb is solidly in third and then Fleur is a distant fourth at this (laughs) point um and then in the third task so I'm like, I don't think that this is talked about anywhere else. So I'm going to quickly like Audrey kind of mentioned this earlier, but all of the, um, champions, sorry, I couldn't think of the word. All of the champions knew about the third task and what it was because they were brought down to the Quidditch pitch and shown the maze like a month or two before the actual, the actual task. I think. Yeah. And so after this crumb is like, psst, Harry, I got to talk to you real quick. And so Crumb like confronts him because at this point the Daily Prophet Prophet article about Hermione and Harry and like subsequently Hermione and Crumb has come out. And so Crumb is like, What are your intentions with my girl? Like, do I need to be worried about this? Do I need to beat you up right now? Like, do I need to take you out of the game? And Harry's like, whoa, 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 like we're just friends. And then after that is kind of smoothed over they hear Brighty Crouch Sr. like staggering around in the woods and he's like talking crazy and Harry's like Crumb stay with him I'm gonna go get Dumbledore and Crumb is like I don't want to stay with this man this man is crazy but Harry's like no no no, just stay 
And so then Harry comes back and Crumb is knocked out and Senior is gone. But, yeah, done, done. I mean, he was, he had me, he like met a very tragic end. Like he, not only was he murdered by his son, but his son like transfigured him into a bone and then just buried him as a bone. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that's ruthless. So, during the maze, like I said before, Victor was in third place, so he entered the maze third, even though, like, Harry and Cedric entered at the same time. So, like, he entered in the second time slot, but as the third competitor. And during in the maze, Moody's last crouch found him, and they put the Imperius curse on him, and he they used him to try and take Cedric out, so Harry had a clear path to victory with no other obstacles. So like we talked about before, Crumb does cast the Cruciatus curse on Cedric, and Harry stuns him and then sends up sparks so that he would be found. But Harry is like, he like, I think he's, oh, he thinks that something's up at this point. He was like very confused as to what was going on. Um, like, I don't think he was like, wow, Crumb's a terrible person now that, like, I've seen him do this, like, the Crusader's Curse. Like, I think he, like, talks about how he's like, that seems sus, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But yeah, so that is his Triwizard Tournament path to third place. Not a great showing. Not Not a terrible terrible showing. Like, in all honesty, I think that he maybe should have gotten scored above Harry. And, like, I'm even a Hufflepuff saying that. Like, I don't know. Cedric did a better you mean job. the of, second task? Yeah, sorry. Did I say the first or third task? You just said in general. Oh, oh, sorry. I meant specifically in the second task. I, I, like, I could see an argument that Crumb should have gotten more points than Harry. Yeah. Because he did do it faster. Like, it, it was yeah. Harry's own fault that he stayed down there, like... So we embodied, asked him to do that. He embodied the, uh, the <laughs> morals of the tournament. Blech. Dumb. Anyways. Right. So, now to speculate if Crumb were to have gone to Hogwarts, what his house would have been. So, I'm just going to go through all four, talk about some of the pros, talk about some of the cons. Um, okay, so Ravenclaw, I think, is, like, the first one that you can rule out. Um, like we talked about earlier, like, he appears as, like, stupid. He's not stupid. Like, he's not. Like, there, he definitely has, he's intelligent, and he, like, um, is good at magic, and, you know. But we never see him being, like, particularly, like, witty or creative or intelligent. Um, I think even, like, his solutions to the task are not, like the best and the smartest and they're not like the most creative either so like the conjunctivitis curse was a pretty simple choice and it was effective but it wasn't super like super like advanced or creative um and then the shark transfiguration was kind of dumb as like i thought katie was going to talk about this mm-hmm. when she talked about the task but like she talked about this on our transfiguration episode about like how potentially Crumb, like, should have lost his capability of thought when he was transfigured himself into a shark. Um, 
So now, I don't know, if we, like, buy that and we get in the nitty-gritties of Transfiguration, which we shouldn't do again. Yeah, that was a um, rabbit hole already that we've already been down. Well, also something with, like, with his solutions for the task, I think it's very interesting that both of the things that he does in the first and then in the second task are things that, like, were already raised as solutions and, like, ultimately like i mean the conjunctivitis curse you could make the argument that like harry didn't rule that out he just didn't have the information but that was like an obvious solution and then the transfiguration one was something that hermione brought up and like immediately discounted because she was like probably not a great idea Mm -hmm. you know whereas like the bubble head charm we don't hear come up at all so yeah i think that like transfiguration like when you know they have to be underwater for an hour like Obviously, if you like live in a world with magic, you'd be like, "Well, I wish I could just like make myself." Well, Harry fish even or says like, "I wish I was an animagus." Right. So I don't think it's particularly creative. No. Um. Yeah, and like, I think it shows more of like his guts to do it, knowing that it could go very wrong, than it does show like his like proficiency in magic and like, uh, you know, like value for intelligence to like yeah. choose it well also kind of like again maybe not talking about Ravenclaw maybe talking about that decision in general like I wonder if Karkaroff was just like this is what you're gonna do yeah you know like I, I could very that, well with, like, see that all of too. them I could have yeah. yeah like um Karkaroff could have just like told him like you're gonna do the conjunctivitis curse you're gonna do this transfiguration yeah. and like you have to figure it out you know yeah so then also with Ravenclaw, like, his time spent in the library seems to have originally mm-hmm. been to, like, to just, like, get privacy and get away from people. And then, obviously, to see Hermione. So it wasn't really due to being studious. Um, although, the one, like, big plus for Ravenclaw, or there are two, like, semi-big pluses. One is that he's introverted, which obviously is not, like, a Ravenclaw-exclusive trait, but, like, you know... Um, and the fact that he admires, the fact that he's interested in Hermione, like, and the fact that he, like, gets interested in Hermione, not through, like, seeing her, like, be brave and be Gryffindor-esque, but just, like, kind of through seeing her in the library looking pretty studying, um, potentially, like, intelligence is something that he values, so that could be, like, a Ravenclaw trait, even if, like, he's not super intelligent or Ravenclaw himself, like, he values that in someone else, um, but I think we can safely rule out Ravenclaw, do you agree? Yeah, I would agree. So I also, is- sorry, oh, just to, like, say one last thing about Ravenclaw, not that, it, like, not only do I think maybe these are kind of the same, same, the same thing, but like, not only do I think that like, there's a good argument for him not to be in Ravenclaw, like specifically when you like zoom out at the rest of the houses, like it just makes sense for that one to be in last place. When you like put it in the context of like, he is more Gryffindor than Ravenclaw. He is more Hufflepuff than Ravenclaw. You know what I mean? Yes. Like both specifically just looking at Ravenclaw. And then when you zoom out and look at the other houses, he's more likely to be the other ones. Exactly. So then Slytherin, I feel like, is often the one that, like, if you just, like, ask someone and they, like, hadn't thought about this, they might say Slytherin just because of, like, the stereotyped view of him and the fact that Durmstrang sits at the Slytherin table and all of that. Um, I think he definitely is ambitious, as we can see with, like, him becoming a pro footage player, not for really for, like, the reasons of being 
famous, but just because, like, he loved Quidditch, so I don't know if that's super ambitious. Like, not as ambitious as, like, the status of being best in the world would normally bring, I think. Yeah. Um, but entering the Triwizard Tournament, like, takes a certain amount of ambition, and... Like I said, he doesn't seem to relish in the attention, which I feel like we usually... Not not that that's necessarily ambitious, but we usually like associate that um, with ambition and with Slytherin. And like he plays Quidditch out of love and just wants to be good because he loves it. Um, doesn't care what comes with all of that. Catching the snitch, even though he knew his team would lose, I think can be seen as being done out of, like, pride and the fact that, like, he was preventing the match from getting too out of hand. He was making, like, himself still look good as, like, well, my team couldn't win, but, like... I still got the snitch. I got the snitch. Um, so I think that's definitely, like, you could see pride as a, a trait with that action. And he's definitely, like, loyal to his own. We talk about fraternity with Slytherin. Um, but he keeps that group super small and is a bit of a lone wolf. He is also very principled in being against dark magic, which, like, obviously supporting dark magic is not, like, a Slytherin trait. We just often associate these things. Um, but I think I'm just bringing this up because I could see him struggling in Slytherin with that reputation. Um, like, he might not exceed to his full potential if he was placed in a house of people who were the children of Death Eaters and who um, didn't see anything wrong with dark magic. And I guess that's something that, like, he faces that reputation. Like, Slytherin has a similar reputation as, like, Durmstrang as a whole. And so maybe, like, he didn't reach his full potential at Durmstrang because that was something he was struggling with. And I just think he would do better around, like, people that also were anti-dark magic you know what I mean yeah yeah um and above all like I don't really have super great evidence for this but I think Slytherin doesn't fit because he's not particularly cunning and cunning is like I think one of the most important Slytherin traits to me we talk about ambition we talk about pride but I think cunning and like slyness are really important well I think that's one of the biggest like differences because we talk about the similarities between Slytherin and Gryffindor quite a bit and I think that cunning that sly that like more like do whatever it takes to win yeah aspect is really the difference between Slytherin and Gryffindor because I think that those two houses a lot of times aim for the same outcome but the way they try to accomplish Mm -hmm. it is very different and I think those are the those are the traits that separate it from Gryffindor. So, like, by default, that can make um, some of the most important factors. Exactly. And I think there's, like, we have no evidence that he's cunning. It's similar to, like, with Ravenclaw. Like, we don't have a ton of evidence of, like, his intelligence or his creativity. Like, cunning is kind of similar to those things as far as, like, finding solutions to problems, and we just really don't have any evidence of it. And I just, I don't know, I feel like... People, like, across the internet, maybe, like, sort of evenly, maybe Slytherin a little less, but, like, Slytherin often comes up as, like, a reasonable choice of a house for him alongside Gryffindor and Hufflepuff. Maybe those are more often, but, like, I just don't really see Slytherin at all because I don't think he has that. Yeah. Okay, before you start to talk about these other two houses, I want people who are listening to go and comment on the Instagram post 
for this episode, which one you think Audrey's going to say is the first as her like most likely option because she she has been dropping hints. I'm looking at her order now and like I there were like Easter eggs leading up to this moment. So I want to see if you guys can Wait, there were Easter eggs? Yeah, in the in the Myers-Briggs you talked about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you weren't like, you're right, you're we're right. going to talk about the house. Like you did say that. You did yeah. say we're going to talk about this <laughs> houses later. But there are some things that you highlighted in the, your personality section that like maybe alluded to which one you would more be more likely to pick, I think. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Let us know. Don't cheat. Don't listen through. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm curious because I think that those, these two are very like could go back and forth in a lot yeah. of people's minds. I think so, too. Um, so, the next house <laughs> is Gryffindor. Ooh. Um, so, bravery is the first quality that Hermione notices in him and is attracted to. Like, she says when... I guess it's not the first quality that she notices. First one <laughs> that she's attracted to. First quality she notices is that he's grumpy. Yeah. Um, but when he touches the snitch and does, like, the Ronsky thing, mm. um, she's like... Oh, that was very brave of him, isn't it? Um, oh, Hermione. Which I think we often point to with Hermione as, like, she's a fucking Gryffindor. Yeah. Um, but obviously he's a brave person. Um, he entered the Triwizard Tournament. Like, you know, he's he's your he's your jock Gryffindor type. Like, that fits. Um, he also seems motivated to stand up for what is right. Um we talked about how he was very against people adopting the Deathly Hallows as a symbol at Durmstrang, and it seems like he, like, spoke out about that. Um, he is definitely re- reckless and into risky behavior. We talked about that. Um, the Shark Transfiguration, the Ronsky Faint, just the Triwizard Tournament in general. The, like, one major drawback, which, again, is not, like, a super Gryffindor trait, but just something I feel like we, like, project onto Gryffindors, is that he's not, like, showboaty. Um, and, like, Harry's not showboaty, but, like, there are times when, like, Harry really, like, enjoys the attention, you know? Yeah. Like, when he, like, wins a Quidditch match, like, Harry's not like, oh, I wish everybody wasn't looking at me. Like, Harry doesn't like attention when it's negative, but he likes it when it's positive. Yeah. And... Um, I, well, I, I will amend that just super quickly. I think he likes attention when it's for things that he's done. He doesn't like the like positive attention that comes like being associated with like him living and his parents dying, which I feel like is fair. And (laughs) also like when he first gets selected for the Triwizard Tournament, he doesn't like that because like well, he that was do mostly that. negative too. Well, yeah. I mean, it was probably like close to 50, 50 or like the Gryffindors 33% point, 33 point. No, 25%. Sorry. I was defined by three for some reason. <laughs> anyway, um, back to Crumb. He's not her buddy at all. And he like, seems to actively dislike the attention. Um, which I just don't think is a Gryffindor trait at all. Yeah. And the fact that, like, he's not loud. He's not super, like, aggressive and in-your-face and dominating the room. Um, obviously, there can be, like, introverted Gryffindors. There can be kind of more, like, I don't know, reserved Gryffindors. But I think of Gryffindor, I think of, like, fire and, like, you know, spunk. Yeah. Um, and I just, like, I don't 
see him as fully embodying that kind of Gryffindor because even like Gryffindors that aren't super like fiery like in the sense of like Harry and like the Weasleys and like go get them like they still like kind of have this ability to like take up a room and like Rom I don't think really does that besides the fact that like people are paying attention to him because he's good at Quidditch yeah he doesn't actively try to like be the center of attention like sometimes he ends up being the center of attention but he doesn't want to or even try to be that and I think that Hermione can sometimes be pointed to as like not a super like loud and outgoing Gryffindor but at the end of the day I think that she craves like attention you know if she didn't she wouldn't be answering all those questions in class to get like praise from the professors you know like Hermione has really strong leadership qualities and that Mm -hmm. like when she feels like she can contribute she instantly takes over like um the way she like sets up the DA and stuff yeah and the DA yeah all right so as you probably (laughs) guessed by now I have chosen to assign him to Hufflepuff for the following reasons um we talked earlier about how he had this like respect for Cedric and Harry for their kindness and like politeness to him acceptance to him acceptance of him um and he compliments harry for his flying of sportsmanship um it's a nice thing to say especially when like at this point harry's beating him in the tournament um like i don't know you could like be bitter and like unfair about it yeah i also don't think that crumb really had a great desire to win the triwizard tournament or at least that's like the impression that i get like he's like good job man that was like that was really awesome what you did out there like good for you bro like you're killing it um so he also like formed a friendship with Fleur enough to be invited to her wedding even though they were competitors at the time so again that kind of like goodwill sportsmanship um and the fact that like they definitely had to have like continued with their friendship because I don't know why she would have invited him like two years later two and a half years later yeah um so I think that that's like a sign of like you know just like general goodwill friendliness very helpful puff like um He's extremely hardworking, obviously, to be so successful with Quidditch. And we, of course, like, we see him training for the second task, which is more than Harry did for that one. Facts, facts. Um, He was courteous enough to take Harry aside and ask him about his relationship with Hermione. Uh, You kind of get the impression that, like, he just wants to know what's going on. And, like, if Harry had something with Hermione, he might have been like, okay, like, I'll take a step back, dude. Like, I just... I just wanted, like, everything out in the open, honesty. Um, again, we keep coming back to, like, he has these really strong principles of being anti-dark arts. We don't really see him act on those, but we're, like, told about them. And I think we can, like, take him at his word for the fact that, like, he cares a lot about this. Um, and, like, just strong morals. And he seems to be very loyal, again, to those he's close with. This is something I brought up with Slytherin, but um, I think, like, the fact that he, like, comes back for Fleur's wedding and the fact that he, like, wants to stay in touch with Hermione, like, he does, like, form bonds with people and kind of, like, stay committed to them. And I think the thing that that most sticks out when you look at his character is that he has this very kind heart beneath his brooding facade, and that's, like, kind of the surprise thing with his character, is, like, you're first introduced to him as, like, the brooding Quidditch star, and 
then you learn he goes to Durmstrang and you're like, oh, like rooting Quidditch star and maybe into the dark arts. And then like you slowly like through him being interested in Hermione and through you getting to know him, you just see that like he's actually a good person. Yeah. Um, and I think like the fact that he has that kind art and that's like his defining trait is that he's like very Hufflepuff through and through. And also, I, as I was talking about all the other ones, like, I think he, he could fit into Gryffindor. I don't think Ravenclaw or Slytherin are at all good fits. And so I think, again, we come back to that Hufflepuff trait, which is, like, not a bad trait, but it's just, like, you don't fit super well into the other houses, and so, like, you're also Hufflepuff. And I think he embodies Hufflepuff values and also doesn't fit well into the other houses, where we, like, we have some some characters who embody Hufflepuff values pretty well, um, but are in a different house because they also fit in that house, you know? Yeah. Um, like Neville and Ron, we kind of talk about as like having Hufflepuff tendencies, but are also Gryffindor. So they like kind of go into Gryffindor. Yeah. So I don't know. I like the idea of him being a Hufflepuff. I think it's like kind of unexpected, but when you think about it, it like seems obvious. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I have two things, thoughts on this. One Sorry, is like, no, you've been wanting to embod- talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. He is like the embodiment of like, you know, that like TikTok sound or that meme or whatever. Like I've seen it in multiple different forms. Like the like looks like a cinnamon roll would actually kill you. Like looks like they would kill you is actually a cinnamon roll. Like Victor Crumb is the embodiment of the like looks like he would kill you is actually a cinnamon roll. And that's Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that could be Hufflepuff. Because Ravenclaw, Slytherin, and Gryffindor would all actually kill you. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, the other thing I want to say with this is, like, we talk about kind of, like, your defining trait or, like, what you value most or what defines you most as a person as being kind of, like, the indicator of which house you would be in. And I think the fact that he was able to, like, come out the other side after being at Durmstrang and still hold so, like, firm and true to his principles and his morals just, like, proves that that is, like, one of the most important things to him as a person yeah. and, like, one of the most defining things about him, you know? I think it's a good Just, point. like, him being able to hold that so strong throughout his time at, like, maybe a place where a lot of the people around him don't also hold those same principles and those morals that he does yeah I think that's a really good point yeah so I what do you remember which house we picked as the number one choice for Fleur by any chance I was trying to go back and I like saw our section with the notes but we didn't say in the section Um. and I think it was either Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff it might have been Hufflepuff because we talked a lot about her like loyalty to Bill oh yeah and the fact that like she commits herself to the war even though like she's a foreigner and that's not really like like it it doesn't have to be her war but she kind of like she comes back and commits herself to it um and I I think mostly due to that and like the Bill thing um Damn. I feel like we were, we said Hufflepuff. Um, Hufflepuff, just like, if that's true, three out of four champions ain't bad. If <laughs> three I out of the three rightful champions. <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> true. Yeah. 
true. Just rile up the Gryffindors, you know. <laughs> we can use it. <laughs> I'm not sorry. Do um, we have any, are any of our, like, big listeners, you know, like our patrons that we interact with, are any? Let us know, guys. Are any Yeah. Are I do any feel like Gryffindor... Gryffindor is this like weird combination house of like simultaneously like the most overrated yet I feel like a lot of times most underrepresented under underrepresented in fans because like mm-hmm. I feel like every time there's stuff like polls on like Facebook groups or whatever I feel like Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw are always like the yeah. most popular ones and Gryffindor and Slytherin are down at the bottom I think you're right and I also think that like I don't know, because Gryffindor is so overrepresented in the book, mm. like, I feel like people that are Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin, like, are really vocal about being Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, We have this complex. Even, even though that would be, like, yeah, it's like a Napoleon complex, but yeah. even though, like, that, like, being vocal about your house would be, like, a total Gryffindor move, but I feel yeah. like Gryffindors in real life are, like, yeah, like, I know I'm the privileged family. <laughs> <laughs> like what am I gonna do about it? Or like I'm not gonna like shout it in your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let us know. Yeah. So comment which how which house you thought Victor Crumb was gonna be before Audrey announced the second place, and then also comment if you're a Gryffindor because I'm curious because I can't think of any. But yeah. I also don't know if I know a lot of the houses of those people that we talk to. Like, I'm sure that, like, I might Facebook have heard, group, but... I can guess on a lot of them, because yeah. I feel like they've, like, commented stuff. Maybe yeah. I'll just put a poll in our Facebook group. Yeah. Because I don't think we've done that. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, it, if we have, it's been a long time. So yeah. be on the lookout for that. And if you want... If you're a Gryffindor listening and you're not a part of our Facebook group and you want to make sure that your house is represented represented join our facebook group wizard studies podcast group on facebook <laughs> look a seamless plug damn okay <laughs> so moving on to like our last big kind of real section is i'm gonna talk about crumb's relationship with hermione and we've talked a little bit about this in the past i think both in our like fanfic episode i feel like we talked about chips in that episode just in general and i think we talked about hermione mm-hmm. crumb and I can't remember where else we talked about it. Like, maybe in the Hermione episode a little bit. I feel like it always comes up when we're talking about Ron and Hermione. Yeah, true, true. Oh. So, I'm first going to go through, like, a little bit of a timeline of their relationship. So, like, Crumb presumably had a crush on Hermione for, like, you know, weeks to a month leading up to the Yule Ball. Because, like, we do know that he kind of, like, loitered in the library for a little bit like, for a while leading up to him asking her um, to kind of, like, wait for his moment <laughs> to pounce. Um, I also think that Hermione doesn't get asked out super last minute either. Like, I think that Crumb asked her, like, you know, like, a week before the ball at yeah. least, you know? So if we're saying a week before and at least a week before that, he was, like, in the library. That's, like, two weeks right there before the Yule Ball, like, before December 25th that he had his eye on Hermione. <laughs> um, so, like I said, before they attended the Yule Ball together and they had a blast just dancing and talking. And I think that – I don't know if we've ever – if we've ever talked about this when we've talked about this relationship. I think – Hermione being with Crumb kind of like helps her 
because she loves being the smartest person in the room like she loves knowing everything and I think that crumb like you know like I think that Hermione being able to like explain things to crumb and Mm. you know like give him information helps like fulfill that in her you know and maybe maybe the same thing is with Ron you know like her having (laughs) to like be the smart one in the relationship is something that she looks for in relationships not saying that Crumb isn't smart but you know like she has to like explain to him how to pronounce her name and that kind of thing you know um and then it's like presumably Hermione and Crumb spent time together post the Yule Ball. Like it's never explicitly said, but I can't imagine that they just like didn't talk again. Because then at the second task, like Hermione is not only like his hostage, but like Crumb like whispers in her ear like he's never felt like this about anybody else before and like he wants Hermione to come spend the summer with him in Bulgaria. <laughs> like I don't like I feel like there had to have been some interaction between the Yule Ball and this, you know, like continued time spent together. <laughs> I would hope so, at least. And like, we do know that they write letters to each other post like the end of this year as well. So that kind of would also lead to the fact that like Hermione was, it wasn't like Crumb just being like super overbearing, you know, like Hermione was reciprocating yeah, in yeah. some ways. Um, and so we know this because. Rita was eavesdropping at this point. She was a beetle in Hermione's hair when Crumb said that. And she, like, published that information in the Daily Prophet and, like, kind of also bashing her relationship with Harry, saying that, like, you know, she broke Harry's heart by moving on with Crumb. Like, she has a thing for famous men, and that led to Hermione getting a lot of hate mail, which is, like, really heartbreaking. We don't condone, like... I mean, this isn't really even slut shaming, but we don't condone like slut shaming or relationship shaming or like any of that type of stuff. Or at least I don't. I don't want to speak for Audrey, but I also do not. Care <laughs> that. I feel like you could have spoken to me there. I think you know that. Just want to make sure. <laughs> so Hermione got a bunch of hate mail, and then. Like, again, presumably, because we don't see any of this, like, they continued some sort of relationship until the end of the year because Crumb asked Hermione to write to him. And they do write to that, like, we see her, okay, maybe this isn't confirmed, maybe it is. Like, she writes a letter and posts it in Order of the Phoenix, and Harry and Ron are like, who was that to, Hermione? And she's like, (laughs) oh, no one. (laughs) So I'm, like, pretty sure it's either, like, strongly alluded or, like, we know that that was to Crumb. So they at least, like, kept up correspondence leading into Order of the Phoenix. But we do know that Hermione did not go spend her summer with him in Bulgaria. So (laughs) maybe she wasn't very serious about this relationship. And then it is believed that Hermione had her first kiss with Crumb because in Half-Blood Prince, after Ron slut shames his sister Ginny for kissing Dean she's like you're the only one who thinks kissing is a big deal because you've never been kissed Harry had it with Cho Hermione had it with Victor and you're just butthurt because nobody wants to kiss you Ron so I mean I think like like the wiki was like it's presumed like I feel like that's a fact like Hermione would tell Ginny you know like I I believe that 
So when that kiss occurred is up for debate. And if there was more than one is up for debate, though. Never know. That's fair. Never know. And so that's kind of like the the end of their relationship. Um, It kind of assumes to just like peter out. He's excited to see her at the wedding, but then Ron takes her to the dance floor. <laughs> then Ron gets very defensive. <laughs> he feels very threatened by Victor Crumb at the wedding. Um, but also, in the 2014 Quidditch World Cup writings, Rita says something along the lines of, like, alluding to, you know, maybe Hermione and Crumb have rekindled their romance. Mm. Mm. But, I mean, Damn. I think it's presumed to just be... Rita being Rita and not like based on fact yeah so a big thing with this relationship I think that's talked about and a big thing for me is that the age difference so Crumb was 18 at this point and Hermione was 15 which is an age gap especially when you're that young Mm mm-hmm and I, I mean, I guess we don't know the laws of the wizarding world on, like, what the age of consent is. Um, I mean, I think it's safe to assume they didn't have sex, though. Yes, yeah. I mean, you could maybe make that argument. I feel like somebody else could make a separate argument. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd buy it. But I, like, kind of not, like, in defense of this because I don't know if I want to defend a relationship between a 15-year-old and an 8 18 year old like Hermione was slash is like very mature for her age I also and like don't get me wrong like the number of years in between is really not that big but when you're that young it feels like like you being me being like 15 year old Katie and 18 year old Katie I feel like we're fairly different and like I was even a fairly mature yes teenager but I'm also gonna make the argument that like it's not at all uncommon like I think that doesn't make it like less unsettling or anything but like a lot of like girls that are like freshmen or sophomore in high school date seniors seniors in high school like that was pretty that was at least pretty normal in my high school yeah um I I think me at 15 wouldn't have been comfortable with it, even though, like, I feel like I was a mature 15-year-old, but, and, like, certainly, I I think a lot of people would be uncomfortable with that age difference, um, at that, like, young of an age, but I think it's, like, not, like, totally crazy, and, like, they're in school together. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I think, I don't... I mean, I think that's something else to be brought up, and I think you, like, alluded to this fact saying that you don't think that they had sex. Like, I don't really know how, like, serious their relationship was either, or, like, quote-unquote relationship. Yeah. Um, And also, just to, like, put myself, like, back into 15-year-old Katie's shoes, like, at that point, I was, like, a pretty big One Direction fan. So, let's just, like, equate, like, Harry Styles coming up to 15-year-old Katie. Like, I might make an, an exception for that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Um, but something that came into my mind when we were talking about this earlier is that I feel like Hermione and Crumb are, like, the Hogwarts or, like, Harry Potter equivalent of, like, Will and Kate. 
of like the British royal family because like Kate had posters of Will like in her dorm room at college and they started dating and like I don't think that Hermione really ever had like a poster of him but cut back she didn't know who yeah but like cut back to that quote at the Queer World Cup where she was like he's so brave you know (laughs) and then like he shows up and then me like he she gets to go to the Yule Ball with him you know real life fairy tale up in here that's funny yeah that's that's the relationship i wish we knew more about their relationship and i think that seeing the stark contrast between like how much hermione confides in harry about this relationship and then later in like half-blood prince when you know like harry is like a really big confidant mm. for her um yeah like, like you relationship wish she confided more yeah at the time yeah I so like I mean maybe maturity has something to do with that and maybe like Ron being the one involved also has something to do with that because like Harry has like prior knowledge of Ron you know that can be more helpful um but I don't know like I wish that she would have confided in Harry more and like maybe if the Triwizard Tournament hadn't been going on and like Harry hadn't been so preoccupied with that like maybe Hermione didn't want to like distract him or you know I also think maybe if Ron was like <laughs> not yet again friends with Harry. By yeah, the time that you'll true, true. I think that was a big factor too, because like Harry, like I not, feel like she would have told Harry yeah. if she knew that Harry wouldn't tell Ron because they weren't speaking. That yeah, because then in Half Blood Prince, like Hermione's talking about Ron, so like she's probably fairly confident that like Harry won't yeah. tell Ron because it's about yeah. Ron. Whereas, like, with Crumb, he would just be like, yo, bro, guess what? Hermione <laughs> told me. Like, because Harry doesn't pick up on any of this. Like, I mean, I think at the Yule Ball, he starts to. Yeah. I don't know. So, I could see that. But I wish that we knew more because, I don't know. There are, like, lots of gaps. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Series from Hermione's perspective. <laughs> Give it to us. Somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next up we have the cocktail. It's been a while since we've done this. So to remind you, this is from 50 Amazing Cocktails inspired by Harry Potter by Archie Thomas, our boy. So Crumb's cocktail actually sounds pretty good. I think I would make this totally. Do you think um, I would like it? Before you tell me what it is, do you think I'd like it? Here's my question. Does it have dark liquor in it? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No. But I don't know that I've ever seen you drink this. Um, Actually, probably have. So it's called the Ronsky Faint. And it it. is tequila. Do you like tequila? I like tequila when it's partner. Yeah, I mean, I drink Margs. I like tequila when it's like you can't taste the tequila. You know, when it's paired with something sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you would like this. Okay. It's. Tequila, soda water, lime juice, mint leaves, basil, and sugar. Okay. And then like lime margin. So it's kind of like a deconstructed marg almost. Yeah, because like you put like a marg is essentially like, I mean, a traditional marg is lime juice and tequila and like maybe triple sec, but yeah, like a marg mix, it's just like lime juice and sugar. Um, so you put in soda water, so it's going to be like carbonated and then like the mint leaves and the basil i think we just add like another kind of like flavor palette yeah kind of like make it it fresh it seems like a very like fresh yeah it's described as refreshing it sounds really 
Sounds pretty good. Is it a shot? No, because it has oh, okay, okay. it has soda water. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Hmm, I I can dig it. it. I like light fruity drinks. You know. Yeah. What can I say? I'm a basic bitch. Um, <laughs> okay, so I do have a little bit of information for the where are they now, mainly because I'm including like everything post Goblet of Fire in the where <laughs> are they now for Crumb because he disappears mostly. But we do know that after the 1994-1995 school year, Crumb did return for the wedding between Bill and Fleur. Um, because it's presumed slash maybe even like alluded to in the book that him and Fleur stayed pretty good friends. Like maybe Harry like posits that. Um, and again, like I said, he remained in contact with Hermione for like about a year, at least a year after fourth year, like into Order of the Phoenix. Um, and so he did continue to play Quidditch post his school years. He played in the 2002 Quidditch World Cup and he suffered a crushing defeat let me pull up the stats again yeah bulgaria suffered a crushing disappointment when outstanding egyptian seeker raya zaghul zaghul narrowly beat crumb to the snitch making them lose 450 to 300 so literally like so it was a tie snitch yeah and he barely didn't get it like devastating and he ret- he announced his retirement after this. So he would have been like 30, no, 76 to 2002, like 24, 26? 26. Like yeah. yeah. So like it's an early youngish. Yeah. Um, but like I think that he had been playing professional Quidditch for like longer than most people would at yeah. that age because like he started pretty early. Um, but he did come out of retirement in 2014 at the age of 38 because, and I quote, I aim to win the World Cup before I die. (laughs) He, like, he literally just came back to play in the World Cup. Like, he didn't, like, play, you know, it's like when people kind of, like, just play during the Olympics. You know, I feel like Carrie Walsh Jennings kind of generally just plays, like, Olympic qualifiers, no. Maybe the year that she was like injured, she only did that, or the year the yeah, years that she, she gave birth. Injuries, yeah. Um so he came out of retirement at 38 and he finally did win the Quidditch World Cup after two like maybe objectively the second loss was more crushing, but you know, after two losses, which is devastating. To come back and win for the third time, or like at the third time, is very impressive. And at 38 years old, that they say that that's like fairly old for a seeker, which I feel like yeah. seekers might be one of the positions that you could like play the longest, though. You know, I feel like it takes less beating than the other ones. Like, yeah. I don't know. I could see seeker kind of I being, agree. you know, you could play a little bit longer. You should be able to find, like, yeah. I mean, and you're not, like, beaters, I feel like, might have, like, high, like, overturn rates because I feel like that might be one of the most grueling positions and, yeah. like, chasers. Um, and so, yeah, he, he won the third time he played, but in terms of the wizarding war, um, we have no, 
like information evidence to say that he took part in it at all the like second wizarding war um but we've kind of talked about this in the past that this war was like pretty contained to great britain like it didn't have a lot of international involvement Mm -hmm. unlike the first wizarding war that did have a lot more like international implication whereas like other countries i guess just kind of saw it as like well that's their problem you know yeah so yeah, that's about all we know. There is stuff in the wiki saying that like he married a nice Bulgarian girl, but like I'm skeptical of that source. Um oh, so I just clicked on it. It's it was a web chat on July, I guess like on Harry's birthday in 2007. Mm. Was that the okay. year that the last book came out? Am I just saying that because 7 and 7 probably. Um the author did like a web chat, like ask me anything type thing, I guess. Mm. And web somebody chat. probably asked, like, what happened to Victor Crumb? She was like, he married a nice Bulgarian girl, you know? So, yeah, that is <sighs> about all the information we have about Crumb post Goblet of Fire. Tales of giant monsters as old as tales themselves. But what makes those stories fit into the kaiju genre and just how scary can they be? Larry and Justin are pursuing this very knowledge on the Here's Johnny podcast, a horror show that arrives every week, just like your favorite radio drama, but instantly through forbidden sciences known as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. There are a ton of kaiju out there to learn about. Just listen to your local emergency officials and stay out of their paths. Wait, say that again? Uh, sorry, folks, I'm getting a message from our staff. Uh, folks, we're getting reports that a massive creature has just risen off the coast of this station and is heading this way. Please follow evacuation protocol and... Listen to the Here's Johnny podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So, for our pop quiz, our question was, which Triwizard Tournament task is your favorite? And this was kind of a hard pop quiz question for us to come up with, because we'd already done a lot of, like, Triwizard Tournament questions and a lot of Quidditch questions, which I feel like are the two things that Crumb, like, is relevant to, at like, remotely. So, yeah. Yeah, so... Pulling up the Facebook here. Um, we came up with this pretty last minute. I forgot that we had to do a pop quiz, so thanks to Katie. It was up for most of the day today, at least. Um, so we got a few responses. Linda said the final task, the maze, just don't like how it ended, which is fair. Yeah. Um, and Lisa agreed with her. Leia said the final task, but specifically the Sphinx scene that wasn't in the movie. Leia, are you impersonating me right now? Like, (laughs) what is going on? When I saw that, I was like, I can't. She stole my answer. (laughs) Um, And then Alex said the tension leading up to the first pass was well-crafted and showed Harry's Gryffindor bravery. I did not like Cedric using a dog to distract the dragon. Um. But yeah, was it a dog, though? Check out her Transfiguration yeah. episode. <laughs> so I think that, like... I feel like 
pretty objectively the third task is the best. Like, in the books, it's yeah. the most entertaining. It's the coolest. Um, I do... And I know Katie's is the third task, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go different. Oh, she's not going to say the third task. She's trying to change it because Leia's No, 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 no. I have something I'm going to say. Like, I, okay. I know what I'm going to... Yeah. You'll see. Um... But I do think for, like, pure entertainment value, the first task is the best. Mm. For, like, entertaining the crowd. Like, if I was in the crowd, I would enjoy the first task the most. Obviously. Um, And I also think the idea of the first task is, like, really comical. That they just, like, had no... Like, if it had gone according to a plan, like, they would literally have no idea. And then they would find out five minutes before that there was a dragon. I don't... like, And I think... That is hilarious and just shows how bad the wizarding world is at, like, general safety. (laughs) And so for that reason, because I think it encapsulates the stupidity of the people in charge of the wizarding world the best. Yeah. And for pure entertainment value, I'm going to go with the first task. Okay, so what immediately came to my mind, and I think it's because we just had talked about this in an episode I don't remember what episode it was but we were talking about the golden egg and how like having a riddle give you Mm. a clue to the next task is like the way that it should be done Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I was thinking about today like not only is it kind of like a puzzle to get the egg underwater like there's also a puzzle with the song like it it kind of like flat out says it the puzzle to get the egg underwater is a Yeah, like puzzle. that's a that's a that's a failure of a puzzle. So what I'm saying is why was there even that first puzzle to begin with and just make the lyrics like less vague or more vague, sorry, and make like the puzzle be decoding the lyrics. Yeah. That's you fair. know? Like in general that kind of like was a missed opportunity, but like I think that's one of the coolest ideas of like the things involved with the tasks you know like having because the first one was nothing the second one was a flawed puzzle that was theoretically supposed to help the champions but like was never going to help them and then the third task they were just flat out told what it was so I think out of those three like obviously the most compelling and like the most interesting is having like a riddle leading into that task but I am really terrified of under the water so I really don't like that task at all. But like the puzzle leading to that task has always been very fascinating to me. And I love the like Mer People song. Mm-hmm. Like the lyrics I think it's really cool. Um, but uh, like the Sphinx scene is like one of my favorite scenes in the Goblet of Fire. And Goblet of Fire is my favorite book. So I'll leave that. <laughs> let you interpret it that if you want to. <laughs> I, we are See just on Leia's a, answer. Yeah, we are on a tear of talking about Goblet of Fire because we just talked about it in our last Patreon episode. Crumb is like pretty much all Goblet of Fire. Spoiler alert for our next episode, but it's going to be about Barty Crouch Jr. So that's going to be a lot and of Goblet Trish of Fire Jr. too. Yeah. Well, both of them, like that's Goblet yeah. of Fire. So I'm really just thriving, guys. <laughs> yeah. Just remember this when we don't talk about Goblin Spy for a while. <laughs> yeah. Keep trying to bring it up. Yeah, patrons might want to go vote for not Goblet of Fire to maybe humble me a little bit so we're yeah, not talking please, about it again in April. Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
You can find our episodes on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Katie, what is your favorite podcast platform? I gotta say Apple Podcasts. I know that people are like going to Spotify, but I just, I can't. I really don't like change. And I really like the reviews on Apple Podcasts. It really bothers me that Spotify doesn't have reviews. That's fair. I did make the jump to Spotify, and I just like having it all in the same place as my music. Mm, That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, you can find us in both of those places. (laughs) You can get your episodes every other Tuesday, or if you're a patron, every other Monday. And yeah, like Katie said, Go leave us some reviews so we can see those on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen on Spotify or somewhere else, just get on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and it'll make us very happy. Yeah. Then you can find us on social media at Wizard Studies Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to join our Facebook group, and we'll try to remember to post that house poll like soon, maybe close to the time that this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. Um so if you want your house to be represented, rep, why do I keep on when I say represented? That's, anyways, <laughs> represented, join our Facebook group, Wizard Studies, Wizard Studies Podcast Group. I'm just getting all discombobulated. <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Wizard Studies, and you can also email us at wizardstudiespodcast at gmail.com. All right. As always, thank you so much for listening, and remember... Just do your best, we'll do the rest. And learn until our brains all rot. Right.